week. My message this morning is entitled, Foundations Really Do Matter, or Foundations Matter. I appreciate architecture. I appreciate uh, man's ingenuity. I remember when I was growing up, living in New York, and I was just a kid, I'd be in the back seat of the car. This was before you had to wear seat belts. And we would often go over the Verrazano Bridge or the Frog's Neck Bridge, these suspension bridges, and I would stand up on the back seat and put my head over the rear, uh, the rear, uh, that flat section, I don't know if it has a formal name, the deck, and look out the window as my mother would be driving the car and we're driving over one of these huge suspension bridges in New York. It gave me an appreciation even at a young age. Uh, I became fascinated with bridges and uh, fascinated with architecture in general. I want to show you the inside of, an, of a building and while this is without a question a unique picture it also demonstrates man's ingenuity here's this amazing round building people up on the second floor I believe there's five floors in all and you can just see ingenuity at work but if we were to look at this here building from the outside we'll see another story we see that this is the Tower of Pisa. It's absolutely stunning. In Italian, it's called Cambanelle, which means bell tower. It's the place of the bells. And when it was designed, it was designed to host and have bells around the top, right next to a Catholic uh, cathedral. But foundations really do matter. The foundation for the Tower of Pisa was laid in 1173. It was constructed, the foundation, of marble and lime. But there was also areas of clay, fine sand, and shells. They say that the cause of the lean is due to a reaction of the composite of the clay, the fine sand, and the shells, and that's why the tower leans. This uh, soil mix is more compressible on the south side, and so the tower has been tilting ever since. Jesus said, the wise man builds his house on the rock, a foolish man builds his house on the sand. And the rock is the word of God. When you read that parable, we often just assume that the rock is Jesus Christ. But in the parable that Jesus gave, he said, anyone who builds their life on the word of God is like the wise man. And anyone who builds on any other foundation is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. In Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16 to 17, I want to reiterate a scripture I read over the last couple of weeks. My sermon series is called Cultural Revolution. We've been having a revolution in the streets, a demonstration, some would like to say mostly peaceful, but when you have billions of dollars worth of damage, that's not the kind of peace my Bible talks about. Amen. And I understand that 
some peaceful protests have been hijacked. I appreciate that in this nation of ours, we have the freedom of speech and we can speak freely, but we don't have the right to destroy freely. Can I get an agreement? I've been preaching about cultural revolution. And I believe that the church is always supposed to lead the revolution in society, but we don't lead it through rebellion, we lead it through revival. I've been saying over the last few weeks that America is where America is because the church of Jesus Christ is where the church of Jesus Christ is. If we're, as I preached last week, flashlights and salt shakers, we know how to be the flashlight and point people to Jesus but we've forgotten that the salt is a preservative and it preserves. And if America is corroding, if America is diminishing, if America is wasting away, if America is under attack, it's because the church hasn't been the salt that she's been called to be. I've talked about things like the Word of God, the prophets, Isaiah says, that uh, God's plumb line is righteousness. And that with righteousness, He sets a true angle of center. And with justice, He measures off of that plumb line. And there will always be justice when you have a true center. The center, the plumb line of righteousness. When I shared that a couple of weeks ago, that was from Isaiah chapter 28. I want to revisit that passage because in verse 16, just before the prophet talks about the plumb line of righteousness and the measuring of justice, he says something else. In verse 16, he says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. And then I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. We know that Jesus Christ is that cornerstone. He is the stone, the foundation that we build on. And Jesus Christ, it's not just about being born again and asking Jesus in your heart. Jesus is known as the Word of God who became flesh. And so His earthly name is Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah. But before He was Jesus, He was always the Word of God in eternity and will always be the Word of God. And the Word of God became flesh to reveal to us the ways of God, the, the pathways of God, and the the uh, the. the, the the Spirit of God. He reflects the character of the Father and the Father's ways. So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the prophet says, through God, God is speaking through the prophet, and he says, I will lay a sure building stone as a foundation. The Tower of Pisa was built on marble, but it was also built on sand. And I said last week or two weeks ago when I preached on righteousness and justice that God's throne is always built on righteousness and justice. 
living right according to the word of God and living with justice in how we deal with one another and how we respond both within a marriage, within the context of our family and our children, how we do business. What other people can get away with, you're not called to enter into that arena. People in the world might get away with doing business a certain way, but you are called to be a representative of the Most High. And the same way Jesus became uh, the, the flesh that revealed the Word of God, you and I are called to a lifestyle that our flesh is to emulate the Word of God and reveal the Word, the standard, and the ways of God to the rest of the world. And you might find other people getting away with certain things in business and there are these loopholes and that loopholes and they seem to prosper. But I don't want to prosper according to the measurement of the world's success. I want to prosper according to the measurement of God's success. Can I get an agreement? And so I shared how Righteousness and justice are like those two legs. With only one righteousness, we can be unstable. With only justice, equally unstable. And I progressed and I shared about how Solomon, while he inherited a kingdom from his father, and his father penned the words that God's thrones built on righteousness and justice, Solomon went on and he inquired of the Lord for wisdom so that he could give just decisions. But he didn't pray for righteousness. And so in the life of Solomon, we see the beginning of decay. As he marries women who are princesses of surrounding nations, he creates alliances with their fathers. When we create an alliance with the world, it's a compromise that will lead to an alliance with the enemy. God is our peace. I don't have to compromise the word of God or the ways of God to make it in life. And when Solomon started to intermarry, contrary to the word of God, the alliances he made ended up becoming the destruction that pulled his nation apart. And Solomon, to appease his newfound loves and his newfound wives, started to build altars on the hilltops for his, <laughs> for his peace treaties. As much as these marriages were meant to bring him peace, he didn't have peace at home until he compromised the word of God. And he built these altars to foreign gods around the countryside. After Solomon came Rehoboam, his son, and the kingdom split. It's important that you understand some of these things. The word of God gives us a foundation, but it gives us examples for life. I want you to understand what I'm going to share today because it's very deep. It's very powerful. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Matthew 4, 19. Jesus and his disciples had been traveling. Jesus was preaching. 
And the boys decided, you know what? It's time to have a Big Mac. And so they went looking for the closest McDonald's or uh, Burger King. And uh, they were hungry. And Jesus was sitting at a well. And a Samaritan woman comes to the well to draw water. At an hour that most women and most people did not go to the well. And Jesus, obviously a Jew, turns to the Samaritan woman and he said, Would you draw some water for me? And she's perplexed. Everybody in the city knew that she was a woman that had more than five husbands and was living with someone now. No doubt, sin is often the cover of a broken life and broken heart. Most people would avoid her. Jews especially would avoid any Samaritan. There was an animosity between the two, which we'll understand and explain in just a moment. And Jesus turns to this lady and says, would you draw me some water? She said, why would you ask me, a Samaritan? And they get into conversation, and Jesus, in his prophetic way, in the anointing that brought, gave him prophetic eyesight, he starts speaking to, into her life. And he says, woman, if you only knew I could give you water so that you'll never thirst again. All these things you engage in in life, all these ways that you're looking for security, you're looking for stability, you're looking for genuine love, all the ways that you try to run from rejection and find something secure, if you only knew who was talking to you, I could give you water so you would never thirst again. He starts to unfold her life. He brings up her husband, and uh, she says, I'm not married. He said, well, you're at least honest, because you've had five husbands, and you're, the man you're living with right now isn't your husband. She realizes he's a prophet. Now, how much time goes past in this conversation, we don't know, but it was enough time for the disciples to go look for food, finally find some food, and eventually make their way back to Jesus. In the course of this conversation, the woman says to Jesus, I perceive you are a prophet. We're told that the Messiah is going to come, and when he comes, he'll explain a lot of things to us. And Jesus tells her point blank, I am the one that you are speaking about. And the woman says this, Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Verse 23, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming and now is come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. And Jesus went on to say, and it won't be about the mountain and it won't be about Jerusalem they will worship the Father from their spirit. I want you to look at what Jesus said here. He spoke very honestly to this woman. 
we have developed a new kind of gospel. In the last 30 years, we've created a new approach to the gospel. It's how to win everybody. We forget that Jesus is also called the rock of offense. The goal isn't winning everybody. The goal is getting everyone to turn from their sinful ways and to accept Jesus Christ as the only way. Can I get an agreement? I've already shared that the message of repentance isn't about pulling out a whip, cat of nine tails, and screaming and yelling. When the prophet Isaiah spoke about John the Baptist prophetically, and he said one would cry out in the wilderness, and he would prepare the way, he also said in the verse before it, comfort my people, comfort my people. That's what God was saying. And John the Baptist would have spoken to people very honestly and from the sincerity of his heart. And he would have shared with them the error of their ways and the importance that they turn from their stubborn, independent, self-prescribed methods and come back to the ways of God. It's very interesting when we look at this woman and her concern is, are we supposed to worship in the mountain or are we supposed to worship in Jerusalem? I said, foundations matter. I'm going to show you why foundations matter. And I'm going to show you why it's important to be a student of the Word of God. Because we read a lot of things on the surface, but we miss the depth of what's going on and the deeper meaning and truths that are relevant to us. So I'm going to take you for a moment. We're going to go uh, diving through the Word of God. Who were the Samaritans? The Bible says that when Solomon's son Rehoboam took over the kingdom, his father had already allowed paganism in the country. He didn't stand for righteousness like his father David. We here in America have built this nation on justice. And justice alone without God's plumb line of righteousness will always lead to a collapse. You as Americans have an opportunity to speak into your country. We are very blessed to have this ability where with our vote we can speak into our nation. And I've been talking to you for the last few weeks about voting according to the standards of God's Word. Vote on issues according to God's moral standard because righteousness is the plumb line and justice will only work as a measuring line when it has a true north and south. Can I get an agreement? But those are the messages from the last few weeks. So let's move on. So here's Solomon, he builds on justice and his kingdom starts to tilt and it starts to collapse because he didn't build with righteousness. Rehoboam comes and he starts to bring even greater labor, servitude on the people. And the kingdom splits and Jeroboam rises up an independent official from his father's uh, palace rises up and 10 of the 12 tribes follow Jeroboam. This is called the northern tribes, the 10 tribes of the north. 
Judah being in the south, the tribe of Judah. And they go into rebellion and Jeroboam becomes their king. I'm going to show you something very, very important. In the ten tribes, the northern tribes, in the midst of them is a hill country called Samaria. And one of Jeroboam's successors bought the mountain of Samaria and established a city on that mountain and made it the capital of Israel, the northern ten tribes. Jeroboam rebelled against the system and rebelled against Rehoboam. Rehoboam was in error. He was driving the people harshly and there was no justice. Where his father had maintained justice, Rehoboam did not maintain justice. And he said, if you thought my dad was tough, I'm going to be even tougher on you. And so, in the midst of injustice, people will react. In the midst of injustice, people will rebel. We're seeing it even in our nation. But there's a right way to stand up and talk, and there's a wrong way to stand up and talk. And Jeroboam took the wrong way. He took the route of rebellion, and he took the ten tribes, and now Israel was split. The ten tribes retained the name Israel, and they built their own capital called Samaria. Now watch this, because this is where it really gets interesting. It says here, in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25, that Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and he lived there, and from there he went out and built up Penel. Verse 28, Jeroboam thought to himself, now listen and watch. Listen to this. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will likely now revert back to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. Verse 20. Uh, verse 28, after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. And he said to the people, it's too much for you to go all the way down to Jerusalem. Here are your gods. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And he set one up in Bethel and he set the other up in Dan. And this thing became a sin, and the people came to worship the one at Bethel, and went as far as Dan to worship the other. And Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. I want you to see what's going on here. He sets up Dan, and he sets up Bethel, the northern Border and the southern border. You don't have to go all the way down to Jerusalem. You don't have to go all the way down there and worship. You see, the man had an ulterior motive and it was a selfish ulterior motive. I said to you last week, fake news isn't something new. It's been around for eons and eons. And people will tell you what they want to tell you so that they will get what they want to get. It's called manipulation and control. 
The whole reason why people lie, the whole reason why people exercise deceitfulness is because if you know the truth up front, you won't join in what they want you to do. So the only way I can get you to do what I want to do is to manipulate the truth, to lie, to conjure up a story that I think will be palatable to you and keep my motives hidden so that you jump on board and end up doing what I want and by telling you something opposite to the truth or devoid of the truth, I have manipulated you and controlled you so that I could get what I want. The Bible says that this is the same sin that Lucifer practiced in the heavens prior to his fall and his demise. I want to tell you, church, that as we start to build our lives on a sure foundation, we've asked Jesus Christ into our heart, but it's also important that we start to deal with our foundation. Have I built my life just on Jesus, my Savior, or have I also built my life on Jesus, the Word of God from heaven? You see, so often Jesus is our foundation just enough to get us to heaven. But before He was Jesus, He was the Word of God. And it's the Word of God that has to be the foundation of our life. The Word of God will take us to Jesus Christ, but we must build our lives on the whole Word of God. Amen. Am I preaching to you today? Yes. Are you hearing me? Amen. Come on, give the Lord a shout if you're in agreement. You see, Jeroboam was deceitful, and he built the kingdom on deceit. Deceit will always lead to manipulation and and control. He was proud. He didn't want to lose the praises of the people. He didn't want to lose his status as king. He actually manipulated a situation and said, if I allow these people to go down to Jerusalem and worship, the Spirit of God is going to touch their hearts. The Spirit of God is going to move them. And then they're going to rebel against me and go back to Rehoboam. And they'll probably end up killing me. So how can I conjure up a lie? How can I conjure up something that they might want so I can manipulate them, hide my motives, and get them to jump in with me? Pride, number one. Number two, he was concerned about his personal gain at God's expense. Number two, he was concerned about his personal gain at God's expense. As you and I look at the foundations of our life, the foundations that we call our salvation, while we have our feet on Jesus Christ, the one who gives us eternal life, do we also have our feet on the whole truth of the Word of God. Am I living in such a way that my life is centered around everything that brings personal gain to me, even if the kingdom of God suffers loss? Jeroboam had no problem with building to his own benefit at the expense of the kingdom of God. 
And so I'm going to ask you a question. How sure is your foundation? Are you building on the Jesus who saved you, but in such a way so that you build to your benefit at the expense of the kingdom of God? This is what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will take care of itself. I've never apologized for preaching the truth. The only time I need to apologize is when I preach what everybody wants to hear. Foundations really do matter. Just like the Leaning Tower of Pisa, they built on some marble stone, but they also built on some sand. And as we move forward in time, and I've told you I believe we're in the last of the last days, is your sole foundation the Word of God? Or do you have just enough of Jesus so that one foot is on the rock of Jesus Christ and the other foot is precariously out here on other things. I'd like to be able to do that all day, but uh, I would end up giving you a very vivid illustration of what a collapse looks like. <laughs> the second thing that Jeroboam was responsible for was he was involved in personal gain at God's expense. Manipulation and control became very much a part of his life. He was deceitful. It's important that as Christians we recognize if there is manipulation and control in our lives and we turn from it. Because you cannot partake of the ways of Lucifer and also partake of the ways of God. How you act at home with your wife or your husband how you act in business, how you act with people in relationship with you. Maybe manipulation and control was the norm of your childhood. Maybe you grew up in that environment and you never even recognized it. Now that we stand on a true foundation and his name is Jesus, let all of who Jesus is be the foundation of our lives. Everything about Rob Scarallo and everything about you has to line up with the totality of God's word. Can I get an agreement? I don't want to have one foot on Jesus so that I'll get to heaven, but another foot is on some uh, uh, compromising foundation. Because that will always lead to a lean that will take you down. Amen. Jeroboam built on rebellion. He was rebellious to the ways of God and he was rebellious to the king. I want to tell you something. We teach chain of command in Bible school. It's the very first subject I take all the students through. Why? Because chain of command is about divine order. And when we have divine order, everything will flow right in our lives. But when we don't have divine order, we'll have an ungodly disorder. And where there's disorder, there will always be confusion. And where there's confusion, you will have a myriad of demons scurrying around, pulling strings and dictating. This woman was a Samaritan. 
And she wanted to know, should we worship up on the mountain or do we worship in Jerusalem? And here they are some five, six, seven hundred years later. And this man had built a lie. He had built a, a deception. And the people of his kingdom and their ancestors are still living in a delusion to the point where Jesus said, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. Not even your head knowledge is correct. The Jews worship what they know, and they just have head knowledge, and that's it. But a day is coming when a true worshiper will worship the Father from their spirit. They will worship out of a sincerity. They will worship from the core of their lives. It's your life that becomes the epicenter of worship, not a place. It's your attitude that will determine whether that epicenter is a holy place or an ungodly place. Jeroboam appealed to the people and he appealed to their pride. Israel has its own gods now. These are the gods who led you up out of Egypt. It's very interesting that when you study the history, when Moses and Aaron are coming out of Egypt, here's Moses up on the mountain and some people said he's taken too long. We don't know what's happened to him. This church service is way too long. And so Aaron takes up an offering. See, they were having church. He takes up an offering and says, give me your gold bracelets and your gold earrings. And he melts down the gold and he beats out a cast in the shape of a calf. And he builds this golden calf and he says, here's your God. So Aaron builds this golden calf. Moses comes down from the presence of God. Now you got to remember, Aaron's the high priest, and every miracle that Moses did, Aaron was right there witnessing the power and the presence of Almighty God. But he gives in to the people. You don't think God had a, any sense of time up on the mountain? You see, if God's got to give in to your time schedule, he's not God, you are. So the people got cranky. When Moses came down, he was so upset, he smashed the Ten Commandments on the ground. And he said, Aaron, what'd you do? He said, I don't know. I just threw the gold in the fire and out popped this calf. That's the honest truth. You read it. Go research it. That's the honest truth. It has got to be the lamest lie I have ever heard in my life. Aaron literally said, I don't know what happened. I threw the gold in the fire and out came this calf. So here's Jeroboam. The same spirit. The same spirit. But now he comes to the people of Israel and he says, we have two golden calves. And I'm going to appeal to your convenience. Because it's inconvenient to go to Jerusalem. It's inconvenient to be in church where they really preach stuff that can affect your attitudes. It's inconvenient to have a preacher who will always tell you the truth. It's inconvenient to worship for 30 minutes, let alone sometimes 40 minutes. It's inconvenient. If it's too much of a price to pay for God, then there's a God that has a higher order in our lives.
pretty quiet. He appeals to their pride. I'm going to give you two gods instead of one. Remember the golden calf? I'm going to give you two. He appeals to their personal gain. I'm going to make it convenient for you. Do you know that from Samaria, it was 42 miles to Jerusalem. It would take them three and a half hours at best to go down and worship the Lord. So he made it convenient. I'll put a temple in Bethel and I'll put a temple in Dan and you can sacrifice to your own gods. You know, church, while Jesus has paid the ultimate price and I can't get saved by my own efforts, after I get saved, God wants to see how much he's worth it to me and he wants to see how much he's worth it to you and sometimes God will expect a sacrifice because the price of the sacrifice puts value on the one we're making the sacrifice for praise God good preaching pastor on Years ago, I preached a message that the thing that will take the American church down is the spirit of convenience. We have built massive churches on the principle of making church convenient just like a shopping mall. We have used the same strategies. We have used the same parameters. We have used the same methodology without creating a heart change or a foundation change. Foundations really do matter. And so are we building our Christian walk on what's convenient, or are we building our Christian walk on the ways of God and the will of God? And lastly, Jeroboam appealed to their rebellion, and he said, anybody who's not a Levite, if you want to be a priest, all you have to do is bring a sacrifice of an ox. You pay the right price, and I'll make you a priest. And those who weren't called to the priesthood lined up as far as the eye could see. It appealed to their pride. What foundation are we building on? We're standing on Jesus Christ the rock of our salvation. But Jesus Christ is the word of God before he was Jesus. And are we building on the complete word of God? I, I, I close with an example in Second Chronicles chapter 17. This is what the Bible says. This is an amazing parallel between Rehoboam and another king. I said that Israel represented the ten tribes. Judah represented the tribe of Judah and the Levites. Thank God most of the Levites who were spread out through the ten tribes of Israel migrated to the south when Jeroboam did this and decided they had nothing and would have nothing to do with the spirit of convenience and the spirit of arrogance. They had understood the word of the Lord and built their lives on the ways of God. Listen to me, church. I'm not going to give you just enough Christianity 
to help you make it through. I want to make sure that your whole life and your understanding and your children's lives are built on the firm foundation of the entire Word of God. Are you in agreement? Amen. In 2 Chronicles chapter 17, it says, The Lord was with Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the king over Judah. His father, Azza, had been a good king, and he started to pull down the altars that his granddaddy, Solomon, had established on the hills. Azza went to be with the Lord, and his son, Jehoshaphat, took over. And I want to show you something very powerful before I close this morning. In chapter 17, verse 3 to 11, it says, The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father David before him. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. And the Lord, listen to this, the Lord established his kingdom or established the kingdom under his control, and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. In verse 7, it says, In the third year of his reign, he sent his officials to teach in the towns of Judah, and with them were certain Levites. And it says in the next verse, They taught throughout Judah, taking with them the book of the law of the Lord, and they went around to all the towns of Judah and taught the people. Here's Jehoshaphat. He raises up the priests, and he sends them to every town, and he says, bring the word of God with you and teach it. Because people need to build their lives on what the Word of God says. It's not enough that they come down to Jerusalem and offer sacrifices. They need to know the Word of God for themselves. They need to understand the character of God. They need to understand the integrity of God. They need to understand the depth of who He is so that they'll understand the ways of God and translate the character of God into how they should live on a day-to-day -day basis. It wasn't enough for Jehoshaphat to pull down the altars. On one hand, he pulled down the altars to foreign gods, but on the other hand, he did what was inconvenient. He rallied the team of rabbis, he rallied the team of the Levites, and he sent them two by two into every town and every village. And he said, don't come back until you have taught the countryside and all the people the ways of God. Amen. Powerful stuff. Verse 10, you know what it says? The fear of the Lord, listen to this. The fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the land surrounding Judah so that they did not go to war against Jehoshaphat. Some Philistines brought Jehoshaphat gifts and silver as tribute, and the Arabs brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 goats. Here's this man 
unlike Jeroboam, who deliberately sets up a lie, fake news. Worship God here. Let me make it convenient for you. There are a lot of convenient ways to worship. We want to live our lives in a way so that our lives are built on the whole word of God. Jehoshaphat went through the cities and the towns. And he probably said stuff like this, hey, you're living in fornication. See, we don't even know what that word means today. Because the church who's supposed to be the salt, we are so afraid to preach what's right and what's wrong because we're more concerned about having butts in the seats than we are about having hearts in God's hands. See, fornication is living and engaging in sex outside of marriage. I promise you, you could go to almost any I want to be careful what I say. We live in a society and a culture in the church where we don't want to just cover everything with grace. But the grace that comes from God, the Apostle Paul said, the grace that comes from God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. You see, what I'm about to say is not popular, but I'm going to say it anyway. Because we never built this church on what's popular. And so if you really want to build your life on the word of God. Here let me tell you something. The Bible says that if you're not married. And you're engaging in sexual activity. Even if it's mutual. And it's by consent. It's a sin. And a lifestyle like that is sinful. And the Bible actually says that fornicators. People who continually choose to live that way will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because God's against sex? No. He created it. All the responses inside of our body, He designed. But when we engage in casual sex like that without commitment, it's to the peril and to the insecurity of another individual we get what we want without giving the stability, the consistency, the protection, and the dignity that God says should accompany the covenant of marriage. Listen, if we want revival, <laughs> revival is only built on the foundation of repentance. We want revival, but we want it our way. And revival will only come built on the Word of God. I want a sure foundation. I don't want to build partly on marble and partly on sand. I don't want to be a leaning tower of Pisa. We have a culture today where we've accepted it to be normal. Well, this is... This is my significant other. The Bible has a term for it. Listen, church. We need to bring our lives into agreement with God's word and stop trying to get God to come into agreement with us. 
Jeroboam made his gospel convenient to the people in his land, but he led them into a deception that lasted well over 800 years. Jehoshaphat spoke the truth, and when he built with the plumb line of righteousness, God caused all the nations around him to be in fear of him. They held him in awe, and they willingly brought tribute to him to keep him at peace with them. Church, while you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, you have to make sure, and I have to make sure, I have to make sure, that I'm not just standing on the Jesus who saves, but I'm standing on the Jesus who was and is the Word of God from the beginning. We must build on the sure foundation of God's Word. Can I get an agreement? Would you stand with me? One of my biggest difficulties with a Sunday morning, if I was teaching this in Bible school, I could do it greater justice and lay everything out with great detail. I think your life is important enough for you to hear the truth. Amen. I do. I do. I think your life is important enough to hear the truth. And I believe Jesus is worth it. We don't want to preach a convenient gospel. We want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's fashionable. At the moment, it's fashionable to talk about repentance. Preachers around the country are all rising up and talking about repentance. But what does repentance look like? I can't live a single life and sleep around. The world might do it. The church of Jesus Christ can't do it. I could sing, thank you, Jesus, praise the Lord, hallelujah, and be drunk all week. And no one in church will know it, but the Holy Spirit will know it. You and I, we live the life that no one else will see, the life we live in private. And that's the life that God measures. That's the life that really counts. I showed you the inside of the Tower of Pisa and it looked awesome until you saw the outside. Sometimes foundations, what's in the foundation doesn't show up until years later. We want to build on the Word of God and nothing but the Word of God. Can I get an agreement? Every one of us Myself included. Repentance isn't about walking around in condemnation. Repentance isn't about walking around telling yourself that you're such a failure. Repentance is the honest realization that God has a way that's right 
and I have a way that's wrong. And my ways have to line up with God's ways. And there's no two ways about it. Amen. And the more we take the Word of God as a double-edged sword and start to carve away at the things in our lives that don't line up with Him, the more we become a permanent habitation for the Holy Spirit. I don't want to just live under the constant grace of forgiveness. I want to live under the grace of who He's called me to be. And He's called you and me to be bigger and to be better. And through Jesus Christ we are. Amen. Jehoshaphat did a second thing. He raised up a team of judges and he gathered them together and said, now listen to me. This stuff is serious. I want you, I'm going to establish you in the different towns, the different provinces, every village. I'm going to establish you guys as judges. But I'm going to make you make a vow to God that when you judge a case, you're not going to show partiality to your sister. If she comes to you and the other side of the story is your sister, you're going to hear the case and you're going to give a just decision because you're acting on behalf of God. And I'm going to make you swear that you're going to do that. Because to show partiality is a stench in God's nose. He can't stand it. We've got to build on justice. And all of these judges came into agreement and Jehoshaphat made them take a vow that they would be fair, they would be honest, they would be transparent, they would be just. So I'm calling you to be the judge in your life who will act with justice, transparency, and honesty. God's throne is built on righteousness, doing the right thing, following the ways of God, and it's built on justice. Jehoshaphat brought about a revival. He brought about a cultural change. He called the hearts of the men and women in the villages around him. God made him king. It wasn't enough for him to be king. God didn't call him to be the priest. God called him to be king. He could have sat in his father's throne and just ruled the nation. But he sent the priests out to talk to the people so that they could grab their hearts and start to mold their hearts according to the word of God. He set up a social justice system so that justice would take place in the streets. This is a man who wasn't just wanting to be king. This is a man who was looking to draw the people to the heart of God. This was a man who led a cultural revolution. This is a man who lived. He lived and he lived in such a way where he built his kingdom on the ways and the patterns of God. 
And every one of us today can be a Jehoshaphat in our own lives and in our nation. It's time for the salt, the church of Jesus Christ, to be the salt and vote according to moral standards. But more than that, it's time for you and me to take our lives and literally let the Word of God be a mirror in every and each and every situation. Because I want to build my house on a foundation that will stand forever. Can I get agreement? Dad, all I know is you give me these words. You open up passages I've never heard preached. You orchestrate the worship to run parallel. Unless you breathe this into people's hearts, they're just words. And so I pray, breathe it into my heart, breathe it into my life, breathe it into us, so that every one of us will make sure that we come with humility, honesty, and sincerity. And we bow to your word, not just to the word who became flesh, who can save us, but we bow to your word and submit to your ways and not our ways. Come, Holy Spirit. And I pray that through this whole church, those that are online and those that are in this building, you will give us one voice and one mind, and that is your voice and your mind. And that each and every one of us will lay down everything that doesn't line up with your word, and we will take up the responsibilities and the requirements according to righteousness and justice. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You conduct business, do it ethically. You've been lying, stealing, cheating, defrauding. It's time to stop. We have a saying, make an honest woman of the lady. Marry her. How about make an honest man of yourself? Don't just live together. Make a covenant so that you will love together. Make a covenant. Let's do things according to the Word of God. Just because it doesn't stand out in the world anymore doesn't mean it's okay. Just because it's normal and accepted doesn't mean that God accepts it. Let's bring our lives into agreement with who Jesus is. He is the eternal Word of God. And everybody said, good preaching, Pastor Ron. Now listen, listen. Why did I just say that? Because I really want you to clap for me? No. Because I want to take the sting of offense out of this. 
And I want to get you into agreement. I want you to go home like I'm going to go home. And I want you all week to be thinking about God's words. And I want for my life to look more like His life. And I want your life to look more like His life. Not because we want to throw stones at each other. No. We want to love each other, understand each other, show grace to each other, and grow up with each other in Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Every eye closed. If you've not asked Jesus Christ into your heart, there's only one foundation, and that's Jesus. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. With every eye closed, everyone just thinking about themselves, anyone here who's ready to say, Jesus Christ, come into my heart, just quickly lift your hand. Say, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want Christ to live in me. Those of you that are watching via live stream, say it right now. The Lord hears you. The Lord hears you. I speak to the wider body of Christ for everyone who today, we stood out the front and said, I will build my life upon the firm foundation of His love. And everyone who's willing to build their life on the firm foundation of His Word. Will you say so? Amen. Father, I thank You for what You're doing in this house. I thank You for Your Word and for Your truths. And I thank You, Holy Spirit, that You take the Word of God and You preach it to us as individuals. I thank you that today, Holy Spirit, you shine the light where it needs to be shined. And you don't bring condemnation. You bring hope and victory and the way out. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that your conviction brings life. Your conviction brings peace. Your conviction brings joy. We pray your blessing over every man, every woman, in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. 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 Well, turn around and give someone a, an air hug <laughs> or an air high five or something like that. Amen. Greet each other in the Lord. God bless you, church.